Hi everyone, you are now tuning in to another episode of Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. Our special guest today is New York-based journalist, author, and filmmaker, Alberto Ferreras. We hope you enjoy part one of this two-part discussion. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, audience, for joining us today for um, Conversations with Filmmakers. And I'm really excited today um, for this guest. Mr. Alberto, would you please tell us your name, position, and how long have you been in the media industry? Uh, well, um, my name is Alberto Ferreras. I, um, I, I was born in Spain, raised in Venezuela, and I have been in New York City for the last 33 years. Wow. And um, I, I studied journalism uh, originally because back then, I, this is gonna sound prehistoric, but then there was no, you know, like being a filmmaker was like, what? You're going to be who? Who do you think you are? Um, th- so the, in Venezuela, in Caracas, where I studied, uh, there was not a, a filmmaking career. You could be a journalist. And as a journalist, you could choose um, media or, uh, I mean, um, what they called audiovisuals or mm-hmm. advertising or press. And I, I did choose to study um you know, audiovisuals. And uh, and so I started film and television and then I came to New York to do a master's degree. And and I, I, I got very lucky. I worked a little bit in Venezuela before I got here. Mm-hmm. Um, but but really my career began in New York City. I got my first job working for MTV back in the early 90s. Wow. And uh, I used to work for a show with uh, Daisy Fuentes called oh. MTV Internacional, which was at the time the only show MTV did in Spanish for the entire, uh, just for the US, for the Latino US and Latin America. And you know what? I love the way that you just pronounced that. Could you tell us the name of that show again from EV? Oh, MTV Internacional with Daisy Fuentes. I love that. <laughs> I love Daisy. Daisy. And I mean, it was, to be honest with you, it, was, it wasn't easy. It was a lot of work, but, uh, I think it was a wonderful way to to start, you know, and to learn and to, and to realize that, you know, you even if you go to a, a a great school, this is the business that you learn when when you do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think that is something that is very important to to put out there for the audience. Um, and it's also pretty exciting to know, like you know, it's been thirty something years. You probably thought, hey, I'm just going to come there and learn a little bit, maybe go back home, and now you're. Decades later, you're still um, out here doing what you have to do and really impacting the community overall and filming. Doing my my best. You're definitely doing your best. Paying the rent. You know, if you live in your city and you can pay the rent, you're miles ahead. Exactly. But I love like your whole setup as well, not to pivot too much, but would you mind just explaining things in the background? Because I think it's so artistic and streamlined and I know the audience is going to know why the hell. A little while. So uh, let me show you a little bit of my wall. Oh, Um, oh, what am I I pushing here? Um, (laughs) This is, so let me tell you a little bit of what I have behind. Well, right behind me is my father, Mm -hmm. uh, who I love and adore. Those are his shoes. Oh, nice. Uh, because, you know, something, I think they're so personal. You know, I, I just, I'm like, I wasn't going to throw them out. So I'm like, you know, instead of putting something else on the wall, I'm going to have his shoes because, you know, if I can walk in his shoes, 
I'm oh. doing my job. Um, this is a, a poster of um, of a play that I, we did in New York last year called Hamlet in Harlem that mm -hmm. I wrote it, directed, produced it with my friend Mirna Duarte. Um, uh, doing theater in New York is, is a little bit of a luxury because it's not like you're going to, especially if you do off-Broadway, off mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to make money, but, you know, something, if that's what you love, that's what you love. Um, that's a painting by a friend of mine called uh, Fabio Ostrovieski. May he rest in peace. I work with him and I adore him. Uh, another painting by my friend Anemique, my sister, who's an amazing painter. She did that piece, that red piece, and some oh. other things that, you know, I caught up, you know, I've been collecting here and there. And that photo back there, uh, that's a cool one. Do you see it mm -hmm. all the way in the, in the end? That the is... Yeah, it's it's she's a Bolivian uh, woman. It's a big poster of a um of of someone I photographed for a project that I did a couple of years ago for the Smithsonian Institution, uh, for the first Latino gallery of the Museum of American History. Exactly, and that was going to be one of my questions to you. With all the things that you've done, could you also tell the artist audience more about your work in museums? Because you are also a photographer, correct? I'm an iPhone photographer. <laughs> that's an iPhone picture, believe it or not. But that's, that's amazing, though. Listen, yeah. the technology, there's people out there that have actually made films, you know, on an iPhone. So, you yes. know, if they can do it with a GoPro or whatever, I think you could take uh, photography photos with an iPhone. So yes. definitely, would you mind letting them know? Absolutely. So so throughout my career, I've, I've done a lot of things. I've worked in advertising, in, in, in promotions, films behind the scenes. I've done independent projects, short films, feature films sometimes. Um, I've never produced a feature. Uh, but I but I work as a as a as a screenwriter in in a film that went to Sundance in 2015. So I've done a little bit of everything. But uh, one of my favorite projects um, for many years, I I I produced, uh, I I direct. Uh, it's a long story, but I've been doing a show for a long time called Habla for HBO. It began mm -hmm. in HBO Latino, ended up on. HBO Max, which now is called Max. Mm -hmm. But uh, Abla is a very interesting show because uh, it's a little bit about everything and nothing. It's about everything that had to do with being a Latino in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, for many years, uh, especially Hispanic media in the U.S. Uh, has relied on shows that came from Latin America. Okay. And, and they didn't represent the experience of being bilingual and bicultural. Uh -huh. which is the case for, for many Latinos in the U.S. Uh -huh. and, and so with Aula, what I tried to do is um, to give a space for U.S. Latinos to speak up and to talk about the good and the bad, to talk about language. Uh, we have a very particular way to play with language in the U.S., which is mixing it, English and Spanish. Spanish, uh, right, is what they call language. it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the, many most media hispanic media shied away from that because it wasn't proper and i'm like dude if we all talk like this what you know why not so mm -hmm. so habla was probably the the first network show that not only allowed but encouraged people to speak um spanglish mm -hmm. the way they do in regular life 
And I think a, lo a lot of people who've never seen themselves reflected on the screen, uh, they saw themselves. Actually, we've had guests on the show. Mm -hmm. We started doing Adla in 2003. Wow. <clears throat> and in in 2019, I believe, uh, yes, right before the pandemic, we had Diane Guerrero from Orange is the New Black. Wow. And, and she she was a guest of the show who had seen the show when she was a child. Wow. She's super young. And she was like, that was the first time I saw myself on the screen. Um, I mean, I saw wow. someone like me. Um, so that anyway, because Abla ended up being a little bit of a of a anthropological study on 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 the Latino experience. Um, a few years later, the Smithsonian Latino Center, that's what it was called back then. Mm -hmm. uh, they brought me in as, as a content curator for a project to create the first Latino gallery in, in the Smithsonian system, which is now exists. It's called the Molina Gallery in the uh, National Museum of American History in Washington, DC. Wow. So, so work with them, discussing ideas and, and angles, and they ended up commissioned me a 15-minute uh, video, which is now on display at, this, at the Molina Gallery. Um, it is called Somos. And that picture, just to wrap it, it's one of <laughs> 150 portraits of Latinos um, wow. that I had to take to create that video. And the, people love them. They're, um, they're very simple. They were, again, taken with an iPhone and not even the latest iPhone. It was like two iPhones ago. Um, but the, the thing when you talk about Latino um, identity is that it is so diverse and so complex that that it does it takes takes a little bit of time to to explain our reality and, and to debunk you know whatever myths or, or stereotypes have been established about what it's like to be a Latino in the United States. Yeah and I can completely understand that as a you know a black American as well. My family is really from the South. Um, I was born in Brooklyn but then you know I moved to the South as well. So I bounce back and forth and I completely understand that where these misconceptions definitely in the media sometimes and these assumptions as well. I think it's so excellent that a lot of Latinos can be uh, multilingual and everything as well and, and be in these spaces. And I, and I really appreciate you highlighting all the hard work that you've actually done. You know, who knew, you know, so many years later after coming here from so far, you'd be in the Smithsonian with your iPhone art, right? <laughs> and now a word from one of our sponsors. After starting my podcast, I needed to hire the pros to market the content. Are you looking for digital success? Look no further. World Boss HQ is your strategic partner. Their experts turn your vision into a digital masterpiece. From stunning websites to powerful marketing, they've got you covered. Startups or established businesses, they are your one-stop solution. Visit worldbosshq.com. That is W-O-R-L-D-B-O-S-S-H-Q.com. And unleash your potential today. World Boss HQ Digital Marketing. Your online empire awaits. 
We are excited to bring you this world-exclusive teaser from Bad Rabbit Pictures and Movie Pods. They are presenting Age of Prophecy, a sci-fi fantasy podcast done in the style of the radio dramas of yesteryear. Coming soon to all streaming platforms. Visit www.moviepods.com or www.thenukechronicles.com for all the release dates. You won't want to miss this one. Your myths were born from our history. Let's check it out. Life, a vile, messy sequence of events before we die. All designed for something beyond us. It has to be, or else what's the point? You don't know me, but I know you. I am responsible for your triumphs and miseries. And to truly understand your own story, you must know mine. Your myths were born from my history. Hi there, and welcome back to Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. And can I ask you, were all of those pieces by you and the from the iPhone, just like from your travels? Was that all in America, or did you like was it traveling around and everything? Or well, the uh, no, the the actual the, the actual piece is is oh. a fifteen minute um, the narrative video. Well, it's a documentary piece. Uh, where I interviewed um, about 19 subjects wow. that we we discussed, we we agreed on 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 who would they be, you know, working in tandem with what what is now the Museum of the American Latino. Um, we agreed on on these 19 subjects, and I I cut it together, and then to illustrate some portions of that, that video includes a lot of images from the NASA because we have Latino astronauts. Yeah. Um, but wow. also archive images from the Library of Congress. But but to talk about the Latino reality for certain portions, I, I needed portraits. Mm -hmm. And at some point I thought about licensing them. But then when I saw what you could do with an iPhone, um, I was I was playing with a very specific type of lighting. And um, and it was during the pandemic, I, I managed to to make the most diverse sample of 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 subjects that I that I could, that's because really... uh, people forget that um, sometimes you say, oh, you know, there are Asian Latinos, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's not something that started yesterday. There's there's been a Asian presence in Latin America since mm -hmm. the 1800s, and same thing with the Middle East. You know, mm -hmm. it, Latinos we really are. Um, a friend of mine says it's not a melting pot; it's a sancocho. It's just. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's a little bit of everything. Even people in Spain, in in in, in my opinion, they cannot claim to be a hundred percent European. I mean, maybe somebody does a DNA test on a specific person, but um, the Middle East, uh, the Roma people, the Gypsies, uh, everybody went through Spain, so. It is very much in the Hispanic DNA to to mix and mingle and 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 uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, a thing now is like people realizing like the Afro Latino, you know, which is another major thing. Like the you know the buzzword now in the media a lot of times and stuff. But to go back as well for your HBO um, series that you did, that's a docu series. That's what a runtime of one hour. I believe when you're interviewing people or yeah, uh, well, we uh, habla is their specials. Sometimes the later ones were an hour before mm -hmm. for some crazy programming reason, they would split them in, in two parts. So okay. let me just quit my email because I, I, we keep getting can these you, things. Can you please, sir? Oh, we let me turn something off here. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. Why are you listening to my conversation? <laughs> we know that you're very busy. So my Sorry. my my car does that sometimes. And I'm just like, why are you listening? And I do not need the mobile assist right now. Thank you. Yeah. you know? <laughs> but we know that you're a very hardworking person. Will they be able to like stream those episodes still at HBO yes. Max? Could you give them some um, details on that? Because I'm sure there's viewers that are watching Someone like yourself, um, they want to know where they can see your content. Of course. Um, so um, there's uh, several, I think there's about 12 uh, right now. Last time I checked, they, they keep them in their library. It's you oh, go to Max and if you type the word habla, H-A-B-L-A, you're going to find a bunch of them. Uh, I'm going to go backwards, habla now, habla loud, habla y vota. Habla y habla, habla más, habla Texas. There, and every every show has um, multiple voices. We would have like short interviews. It, it, it changed through through the years because uh, we felt that uh, we had to to go a little deeper into the experience. At the beginning, we had a lot of chancleta jokes, which is for those of you who don't know what a chancleta is. Yeah, the slipper throw. <laughs> Exactly. You, you know, mother, Latino mothers, you can use it as a weapon. Yeah. Um, the accuracy of it all. <laughs> Halfway across the room and it's just like. Exactly. And you know, leaves no mark. It's, per it's the perfect weapon in many ways. It's, oh my uh, goodness. We can get into that subject all day because I believe me, my grandmother in the South did not play. It was like, go and get your own switch. <laughs> Yeah, from absolutely. the backyard, and the worst one that I ever did was a flexible green one, because that sucker would whip back and forth and wrap around my leg, and I'm like, why did I do that? Those of uh, those of you watching, we do not condone child abuse at all, but uh, just a disclaimer: some of us grew up with people that were very strong personalities to make sure kids actually stayed in line and did not be disrespectful to all of those in the community. So. <laughs> Yes. And you know something, sometimes it only took one to, to learn a lesson and and you move and on. And now yeah. sometimes it's just a hard talking to. But um <laughs> but, but uh, so you. anyway, you can see you can find a lot of Habla uh, specials on HBO. Mm -hmm. Every show has the later shows have like 12, 14 people. Uh and we we include 
you know, from activists to Hollywood stars to like janitors to nannies. It's like uh, the whole point of Habla was always to present uh, um, the, the diversity and complexity of the community. And uh, people who speak only Spanish, people who only speak English, people who speak both. Mm -hmm. Now, an exciting message from our sponsors. When I decided to launch this podcast, I had the tools to find talent and market the show, but needed a skilled editor to bring it all to life. That's when I turned to Jacob Daly at redhawk.uk. His collaborative approach and swift revisions transformed my vision into reality. Redhawk.uk, your one-stop solution for creative content services. Reach out to them. Now a word from another of our supporting sponsors, that is Realm IQ, a new AI consultancy started by film marketing veteran Kurt Doty, who has built an international team of AI mentors to help AI change management for your business. Go to www.curtdoty.co slash Realm IQ, smart people for smart adoption, creating smart worlds. Realm IQ, book your AI workshop today, adopt or perish. Hi there, and welcome back to Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. Another question I wanted to ask you, because you've done so much, I mean, a journalist, author, filmmaker, playwright, photographer, I mean, you've pretty much done it all, but, you know, with the Latino experience, which what is your favorite genre of content that you'd like to develop? Because that's really important sometimes. Sometimes in our lane, we can do a lot of different genres, but which one do you enjoy the most? I I, I think I, I just, I I am, oh, wow, look at that. That got you something, I love I it. With, with, no, I, I, I would say that I am passionate about storytelling. Mm -hmm. and 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 try to find the best way to tell a story and that changes with time you know uh sometimes we we look at a movie and we say oh wow you know that that hasn't aged so well um <laughs> be because communication is 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 a living you know thing you know mm -hmm. it changes it you know we get used to um uh, sometimes we feel, I don't know if it happens to you, you go to the movies and you feel like you've already seen this movie with different actors. They're telling you the same story. <laughs> like, really? Um, I, I do feel, and and this is probably the most <laughs> important thing that I'm going to say today. Uh, but uh, when I first came to the U.S. from Venezuela, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I wasn't aware that there were Latinos in the U.S., Wow. I imagine that there was a few, I mean, but I, I didn't understand that this was a population that that was, you know, I wasn't the first one coming in. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was shocked when I when I found that there was a New Yorkan, like very important New Yorkan population yeah. in, in New York and Dominican. And then there was a whole nother thing in the Southwest with the Chicanos and 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 anyone who who lived in that area even before 1848, mm -hmm. um, the, the Latino presence has always been part of the history of the United States. Mm -hmm. But that was not something I saw in the movies. So for me, it was a little bit of a surprise. And because the experiences are so different, um, at Cuban in Florida, 
might not have a lot in common with with a Chicano from Los Angeles, to give you the most basic example, or with someone who has been uh, who came to New York, in, you know, in the 1800s with his family from like Spain or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the because the experiences are so different, uh, and yet as a as a group we're all thrown kind of like in the same bin. Um, I I spent a lot of time a lot of time trying to understand what were the commonalities, what was it that we all had in common, so we could then create uh, content for these populations. So, any anyone who comes from that understanding and and creates content doesn't matter if it's documentary or or fiction or whatever if if i find it authentic and genuine and and in a new and it's a story that i haven't heard before then of yeah i will absolutely gravitate uh towards that and it's the kind of thing i want to do um absolutely. well let yeah. me ask you could you tell us some inspiring films or books that you could recommend to the audience as well like were there any that you read and just it's saying to you immediately, you know, because you seem like very, a very creative and artistic person. Was there anything, you know, it could be in the past or the present? Um, I, I mean, some things that, that jump at me, like, oh my God, that was before and after. Um, there is a documentary that you probably saw. I think every it, everybody should see it because it's just the most beautiful uh, thing ever. It was called, um, I think it was called Red Hot Ballroom. And it was a documentary about um, children learning ballroom dancing in New York City. It was oh, a program, I don't know if it's around anymore. And and there were these schools, the, the kind of like fancy private school was competing with like the super Dominican school. And these kids who knew how to dance merengue then had to learn how to uh a ballroom and and uh it, it was just beautiful you know it, um again when, when you have a population it could be you know of any asians african-americans latino it doesn't matter when you have a population that that has been branded uh, has been um stereotyped in the media and you show their humanity mm -hmm. uh that i think is always you know what what i like the most when yeah, somebody I mean, opens my eyes to somebody else's experience and makes me understand, you know, we're the same. Absolutely. And I think that's important because, you know, before Dancing with the Stars, you know, there was like things like that as far as like ballroom. I remember watching that on the network channels and you did see these young kids and they were just like so serious with the tango and all of that. And it just always excited me. So it made me a little bit sad to see you know, that be taken off. So definitely Red Hot Ballroom. I'm definitely going to check that out. Do you uh, know what that might be streaming at or anything? I mean, I'm sure people use your Google. It should. It should. I mean, if you haven't seen I, it, listen, it was one of those movies that people in the theater were clapping. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't happen all the time. You know, to have people like literally cheering for someone who's not even physically there. So that was that was great. Uh, I can tell you some obscure things that nobody's going to find. I <laughs> saw um, many years ago an off-off-Broadway, no, an off-Broadway play. It was called Men on the Verge of a Hispanic Breakdown. And wow. and it was actually a, a, a gay Latino. I think he's, the, the, uh, the, uh, the actor was gay, but he represented six types of uh, gay Latino. 
really men who um, encountered different situations. It was it was brilliant. Um, and and I don't know what happened to that writer and that actor. I know the actor was Felix Pire, who mm -hmm. I believe he teaches in UCLA now. Uh, of course, everything that John Leguizamo um, did on Broadway is phenomenal. Like all his one-man shows, I, from Mambo Mouth, I think the last one I saw was uh, Latino History for Morons. Um, they're fabulous. I mean, they're totally worth watching, but I tell you, it's in his first comedy specials, Mambo Mouth, um, Freak, um, they, they were fabulous. And and again, it's I felt like it was so genuine. Um, I love it. Sometimes I feel like uh, when we try to do Hollywood, it's impossible to create content that is so expensive without having to, um, I'm saying that it's impossible. Maybe it is, maybe we can yeah. do it. But it's without having to, to make some concessions that in, in some cases, again, when you have, when you're talking about underrepresented groups, yeah, you feel like really, you know, braids, you know, and two babies. I mean, come on. <laughs> but it's because you have to convince flannel so shirts, many people. right? Flannel yeah. shirts and, and gold and all that. Yeah, I could play. <laughs> exactly. Now, you, let me ask you about these shows that you watch. Did, did those inspire? You for the Hamlet um, in Harlem? For Hamlet in Harlem? Uh, uh, not, yes. Oh, well, absolutely. Flexibility. <laughs> yeah, the freedom of it, I would say. The freedom of it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. Um, when when you work in, um, in, in media and you write and, and direct and, and you do different and produce, um, when you come up with an idea that you want to to create and protect as your own. You don't want anyone to come and tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. and it, it if the good news is that um, if you identify, then it's something you can take with you and run with it. The bad news is that it's gonna take a lot of energy and time and money. Yeah. Uh, so you have to figure out a way to do something without going around asking people, oh, what do you think? And they would say, you know, she's too tall, she's too short. You know, maybe no. I don't like her accent. I mean, that's that is so incredibly um, that that I do when I get paid. When I do advertising, you tell me how how do you want it pink? Let's make it pink. You want it red? We're gonna make it red. I'll give you. I'll tell you what I think is best for this project. But you, there's a client. But when you are your own client, when you're saying like in the case of Hamlet in Harlem, I have an idea. I want to do this play, and then. You, what you need is 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 to find allies who are going to give you uh, the space, maybe some resources in order to do it. And um, for instance, for Hamlet in Harlem, I was very lucky because there's a there's an institution in New York City. It's been around for 50 years. Wow. It's called Theater for the New City on First Avenue and 10th Street. Uh, it's not an it's not a Broadway theater. Mm -hmm. It's an off strictly off off Broadway theater. With a lot of um, they they've got Peabody Awards and 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 uh, Pulitzer Awards and that's where um, wow. Sam Shepard began his career. Wow! But the 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 woman who created this this incredible place, Crystal Field, she constantly uh, gives opportunities to new voices 
And wow. that is the purpose of the theater. So you can show up with some crazy idea. And if she likes it, she's going to say, okay, let's give it a stab. Wow. And I love that. And people need to know that as well. There's there's playwrights that might be watching this, that it is really inspired to go and, and seek out that. I think that's where there's a lot of limited resources out there as well. So you've given all of these great nuggets to the audience is amazing. You've just tuned into an episode of Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. We'd like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their knowledge. This has been a production of Vonti Pictures, hosted by me, Vonti McCray, a screenwriter and producer. We'd also like to thank Bad Rabbit Pictures for the animated content and creator of upcoming podcast, Age of Prophecy along with our sponsor, RedHawk.UK, with all episodes being edited by Jacob Daly, director, producer, and a man of many talents. Come back next week as this saga continues for the Conversations with Filmmakers podcast.